Good morning, Crosspoint. How's everybody doing today? My name is Sarah Knapp, and I will be reading scripture this morning. And isn't it good to be together in the house of the Lord? Uh, today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13. If you want to get to your Bibles, you can. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13. Let's hear God's word. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know enough, know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrifice to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person the brother or sister for whom Christ died is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Crosspoint. Well, so we've just read uh, scripture this morning. Thank you, Sarah, for reading that for us uh, from the middle of this letter to the Corinthian church. And so before we, we dive in, before we spend time uh, thinking and uh, meditating God's word, I, I want you to just kind of pause with me for a minute and in your mind, maybe think of a time um, where you knew you were right. right. If you need to, you can close your eyes to do this. So that helps you kind of think back. If you've got a little one with you, you can close one eye and keep the other one open to kind of keep an eye on them. Uh, but think of a time when, like, you knew you were right. And, and as I've been preparing, I've been thinking about times where, where I've had that instance. I was talking to my son yesterday about a time where we were having what I would have referred to as a discussion. Um, he might have referred to as a lecture. Um, but, but a time when I knew I was right. And I, and I knew I was right having this conversation with him. And so I pressed into him pretty hard, um, upsetting him in the process because I knew I was right, right? And I'm hoping right now you can picture and put yourself a little bit of mindset where you knew you were right. An instance conversation you've had with a friend or someone you know where you knew you were right. However, in this instance I'm thinking of, there was no love in my heart for him. I wanted to prove my point and make sure he understood, you know, that I knew that I was right. And I'm hoping you guys can put yourself in that mindset a little bit this morning as well before we move into our scripture uh, for this morning. So 
I want us to keep in mind this idea that even though, and I, I've talked about this, that I, I felt I knew I was right. I knew there was just no love in my heart in that, for him that moment. I was not leading with love in that conversation that I was having with him. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to be reading from the middle of the letter to 1 Corinthians. Um, and here in the 8th chapter, we've read Paul responding to this question that would have been posed by the Corinthian church about food sacrifice to idols, whether or not they can consume it. And there would have been some groups of people thinking in these instances that they knew they were right. Now, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians since this past fall. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be studying this into the spring season, into Easter time. And we've, we've been away from it for a couple weeks as uh, the new year started, as the Christmas season has gone through. So just to give you a quick picture of kind of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, we go back into the earlier parts of 1 Corinthians, specifically back in chapter 3, which is something we would have studied earlier this fall. Uh, there was a question Paul is addressing in this Corinthian church about uh, people following different human leaders. And Paul tells them, he says, yeah, it's, it's us who plant and water, but it's God that gives the growth. Paul's pointing these believers back to the truth that their foundation is grounded in Christ. And that's true of us here today, this morning. Our foundation is grounded in Christ. We've sung about it together here as a corporate body this morning. In addition to that particular idea, Paul went on to address issues of sexual morality, conflict and lawsuits among believers, principles for marriage. And these are all areas of life that these uh, Corinthian believers would have butted up against, were having disagreement about, and needed the instruction from Paul and the Holy Spirit uh, in regards to how to live out their lives as Christ followers. And this morning, we're studying this specific question about food sacrificed to idols. And we're going to read and uh, study in the coming weeks. So I encourage you to continue to come back as we read about corporate worship, which is what we're doing here right now and what that looks like within the church. Towards the end of the letter, we're going to actually study the actual resurrection of Christ and what that means for us as believers in that resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So I want to encourage us before we even get into the text this morning uh, to remind one another that we're grounded in the reality that our foundation is on Christ, but also that we're growing in our Christ-likeness. You see behind us, grounded and growing. That's been the title of this time that we've been spending in 1 Corinthians, is grounded and growing. And so uh, before we reach into the text, to remind you guys that we are grounded in Christ and that we are a family that is uh, growing together in our Christ-likeness, that we are a family that prays for that growth among one another, and that even in our time here and after, we're a family that confesses our need for Christ in that growing in Christ-likeness. So from all the things Paul's answered so far, he's transitioning to this question about food sacrificed to idols. And this is where we're going to go and pick up in our reading. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Up on the front screen, we'll see this as well. And he addresses, if you heard Sarah read, he kind of starts the question a couple times and then moves into something else real quick, starts the question again, moves somewhere else before actually diving into uh, application of this question. So we're going to see this happen first as well. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols. Next, I want to pause there for just a moment because I'm not certain how that question hits you right now. We've had a lot of interesting discussions back in Sun Chasers as we move through passages in the Old Testament, the New Testament. So you might read that this morning. There's been a number of community groups this past fall who have spent time in 1 Corinthians. So maybe there's, there's some of your brothers and sisters around here this morning that have actually studied and read this passage, have thought about the application for it, have spent some time discussing with other people. 
Uh, maybe this is the first time you've ever read this passage this morning. So this might be the first time you've ever really seen this in 1 Corinthians. Or maybe you've read it before, but you've kind of skipped through it because you read that question and go, and it doesn't really apply too much to our current time and situation. So wherever you find yourselves this morning, it is a question that these Corinthian believers would have wanted addressed. It would have been something that they would have bumped into in their daily life. And so I want to appreciate for a moment before we answer this question that they have, that we all have questions as well. I don't know if you guys could hear the sun chasers back there when we first got started. The little voices uh, singing and screaming and yelling. They have all kinds of questions. Right? They've got all kinds of questions. And Lord has used them in my life specifically to remind me that it's okay to ask those kinds of questions. It's a good thing of us to ask those questions. They ask all kinds of questions. Some that are really simple to answer. Right? And if you don't know any of the little children back in our Sun Chasers ministry, I'd encourage you to meet a family that has some of the littles there and ask them a question or two about themselves to incorporate them into our body of believers. And sometimes they'll ask you questions as well. Sometimes they're really easy, right? like what's your favorite color? Right? I've got an ant blue. Right? I can answer that one really, really quickly and easily. But sometimes they ask some really obscure questions that I've got no information about, questions that I don't have any um, expertise about. And then sometimes they'll ask you some really deep, fundamental, theological questions. They might just ask, so who is Jesus? Like, we sing about him and talk about him. Who is Jesus? And we talk about the answer to those questions. We're going to see that even in our text this morning, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the second person in the triune Godhead. As we just moved out through the Christmas season, the word Emmanuel comes up a lot. One of my favorite names for Jesus is God with us. And we could spend a long time just discussing what the implications of that are. Our sun chasers are learning that he's their savior, the redeemer. Uh, Mike Troth last week in his prayer, and this is one that I've been uh, thinking a lot about, is he's our advocate. Jesus is sitting even now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And as, as Sarah read, and as we get into, we'll even see some of these implications about who Jesus is to us as, as a body of believers all gathered here this morning. And the fact that who Jesus is shapes our own identity, and it shapes who we are and what we do as a people shapes everything about us. That includes those daily choices that we make. And many of those daily choices have clear teachings in Scripture. If you've been with us throughout this study in 1 Corinthians, you've seen that there's been some of those instances, questions that naturally arise as human beings that we need answers to. And we can point to clear places in Scripture where those are answered. Some of those are the idea of idolatry. Right? Ben prayed this morning that we are to flee from idolatry. And I've encouraged you, if, if you have not taken part in our Bible memory verses over the course of the time you've been at Crosspoint, January is a real straightforward one. So it, it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. encourage you to look it up. The last part of it is just to flee from idolatry. So it says, dear friends, flee from idolatry. And so I'd encourage you to look that up and memorize that. Spend some time thinking about that one here during the rest of the month of January. We learned what it means to follow God with a biblical sexual ethic through the later parts of our fall, what it means to honor God with our bodies. We've done some study on marriage and singleness, no matter what station we find ourselves in lives, what it means to honor God with our lives in those instances. And so there's many daily questions that have like specific places we can point to in Scripture, but there's a whole lot that don't as well, like really specific questions that you might ask. And as I was reading this, I thought back to a lot of my teenage years, and I see some of our teenagers around here right now. I was blessed to have a small group leader who was willing to listen to all manner of questions. And I have questions about, so his name is Steve. Yeah, his name is Steve. But I asked, Steve, Steve, can I watch this movie? 
Uh, Steve, what about this kind of music? Can I listen to this? Can I, can I drink ever or, or not drink? I had all kinds of questions for Steve. And Steve was a wonderful man. He didn't actually like to talk a whole lot, but he was really, really good at listening. So Steve helped me to be a reflective learner in those instances. I'm hoping you guys have some people like that in your lives. And I've really appreciated his willingness to listen to all those questions I have. But not once. Not once did I ever go to Steve. So about food sacrifice to idols. Like, can I eat that? That was just not a question I ever had to pose to Steve in the midst of all the other questions that I'd asked him. But the point still remains, right, that we have questions and what does it mean to live a God-honoring life in that matter? And so the idea of asking questions, gaining knowledge, and then what to do with that knowledge, that's going to be central to what we're going to spend our time thinking about this morning. It's really encapsulated in the first three verses we see here. So I want you to read these with me now in their totality. And Paul starts out, now about food sacrifice to idols. And he doesn't even really address that question. He starts by saying, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. See, before Paul launches into his answer to this question, he addresses the ideas of knowledge and the ideas of love. And so before we move into any kinds of questions that we want to have answered, we're going to focus on these two areas of knowledge and the area of love. I don't know where the youngest among us is. Can you guys look around for a minute? Can you guys find, you can put your hand, who thinks they might be the youngest out here that's sitting with us right now? We've got a few teenagers in here. I see some younger ones too. There may be a little one like roaming around. I don't know where they're at, but the youngest one out around us. There's some point, yeah, down towards the back there. That might be in the back where. The youngest among us have knowledge, right? They've gained some knowledge about how things work in the world. Now, I won't make you look around and point out who's the oldest among us, but there's someone out here who has that role in uh, our gathering this morning, and you've gained a lot of knowledge as well. The rest of you that I can see looking back at me right now have gained knowledge in your time here on earth. You've learned things about different things. Now, the cool thing about that, and I'm going to have you look around here in a minute, is like the knowledge that I have and the knowledge that each of you have, there's probably parts of it that overlap each other, right? But there's these parts of it that, that don't, right? There's parts of our knowledge that are, that are very different than one another. Right, can you... This is going to get awkward, I know, for a little bit, because you're all looking at me. Can you look to left and right, forward and back, make eye contact with someone else around you for a moment, right? It might be a little awkward, but look around at some, yeah, there we go. There's a few of you. Make eye contact with someone around you for a moment, right? Yeah, right? There's awkward laughter, and that's totally fine, right? For some of you, you're like, this is really weird. I don't know if I like this at all. But there are people around you, and each one of you that you just made eye contact with, you've got people around you who know some of the same things that you do. But there's definitely areas of knowledge that you guys have that, that are different. And so I want us to just kind of keep that in mind for a moment. I'm going to encourage you here. I won't remind you at the end, but if you um, are looking for a way to kind of meet someone new, because I'm going to encourage you to do that at the end, here's a question you can ask them to get them started. My wife tells me I, I'm, I'm good at asking really weird, obscure questions. But if you need something to kind of introduce yourself to someone, I'm giving you permission to ask them a question. What's something that they know that they don't think you know. So you're going to ask someone the questions like, what's something that you know that you can teach me right now that I don't know anything about? Right? Just, just to get you interacting with someone here towards the end. And one of two things is probably going to happen in that instance. One, either you're just going to learn something new about someone that you didn't know. Uh, the other possibility is probably that um, you'll end up finding some secret hidden passion that you share with someone you had no idea that they had as well, right? You're like, you like model trains? I love model trains. I have some in my basement. Do you want to come over and see them? 
right? So one of those couple things will happen uh, in, in you interacting with someone. So the, the point remains that we have knowledge in common, but we have knowledge that's, that's going to be different as well. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we travel through our scriptures this morning. So we all have knowledge in different areas, and that's not a bad thing. I, I want us to keep in mind, as Paul says, knowledge puffs up, that knowledge itself isn't a bad thing. Uh, if you don't know me, I teach at, at high school in Morton. I spend my days uh, and nights finding ways to um, encourage and to coach and, dare I say, sometimes even coerce students into learning about mathematics. And so I, I want to tell you here and first and foremost that knowledge is a good thing. Right? I've been a parent for almost 14 years. I've watched my sons grow in knowledge, and there's a lot more to gain, not only for them but for me as well and for all of you as well this morning. So the pursuit of knowledge is a worthwhile thing. Knowledge in itself is a good thing. The Bible speaks to this as well, so I want to point to a few places that we can be reminded that Scripture teaches that knowledge is not in itself a bad thing. Proverbs 18.15 says, the mind of the discerning acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks it. This summer, they preached out of Psalm 119, the 66th verse in that particular psalm says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Paul even prays this over the believers that he writes to. An example, that would be in Philippians 1, 9, where, 1, 9, where Paul says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Focusing on the idea that, that Paul says their love would keep on growing in knowledge and not just their knowledge for knowledge's sake. Right? Knowledge of itself is not bad. We need that in order to disciple others. As we begin to gather at the end of this month in those um, living 3D trainings, we're going to gain knowledge together. Knowledge is going to help us be devoted to God, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach others with the gospel. So knowledge is an important part of what it means to grow as a Christ follower. God's given us each a brain to use, so we should use it. Now, we don't want to hold that in separation, though, from this idea of love, because knowledge in and of itself is a good pursuit, but knowledge, as Paul says, can puff up. But love and so if you, you look at the bulletin, the title of this sermon is uh, Lead with Love. And this, this kind of came about of driving home from Indiana with my wife and just kind of talking to her about what I was um, studying and learning. And that phrase, lead with love, kind of came out of my mouth. And I said, well, I, you know what? I think that's the one we're going to go ahead and go with is the sermon title. And so I did what, what a lot of my, you might have done. is I Google searched real quick to figure out I heard that somewhere before. Where did that come from? And so in my Google search results, I kind of scattered through. And I, I didn't find anything that looked familiar to me. But I did find a bunch of seminars and books about leading with love, how to lead in your community with love, how to lead a business, how to lead a family. But as I kind of dove into the mission statements for some of the these different seminars, I found pretty quickly that they didn't really have a, a full understanding of what love was. And, and that may be true of us here this morning, walking in here. I, I don't know all of you personally, so you may have um, an incomplete sense of what love is. And so as we're talking about knowledge and love, we need to ground that biblically. And so I, I want you to do me a favor and just Close your eyes for a moment. I want to read you a few scriptures about how we as a Christian community, as a, a followers of Christ, define love. And so if you just want to listen for a moment, I'm going to read three passages that kind of outline and give a picture to what it means to build one another up in love and what that love is. So God's love was revealed to us through his son. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 tells us about this. It says God's love was revealed among us in this way. 
God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the world, love can be a temporary fleeting emotion, but God's love's not temporary at all. It's unending for those of us in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, the third thing I want to be reminded this morning is that God's love is undeserved by us. Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. What we should be recognizing here is it's not about us, brothers and sisters. It's not about what we've done, but it's about the unmerited grace of our God. And Paul echoes this when he says here at the end, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Not pointing to any human knowledge, but pointing to the knowledge and love that comes through knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so love builds up. That's what we're going to ground everything we're thinking about today. Love builds up. Last week we studied in 1 Peter when Pastor Dave was here and talked about our lives as living stones being built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Back earlier in the fall, we studied in earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul using this building metaphor again as Christ is our foundation. He's actually talking with some of this morning about building in his general sense and, and building by itself takes some type of action. Right, so building, um, you can start off by studying blueprints. You can read all kinds of books on architecture. You can plan all you want, but until you actually put this into action, no building has actually taken place. And the same thing happens in our building up of others in love. We can listen to all the sermons. We can read all the texts. We can do all those things. But until we put this into action, we're not actually building our brothers up and sisters up in love. And so that's what Paul is going to point to this morning with these believers who are in conflict building one another up in love in a very active sense. All right, so we've got knowledge, we've got love, and so the question goes, what happens, right, what happens if we use this knowledge that we have devoid of any type of love? What happens when just our knowledge occurs? And so there's a study back in 1999, right? Some of us were alive in 1999, some of you around here, I know that you weren't, but study back in 1999 done about the effects of a little bit of knowledge and how that plays out in the long run. I became interested in this study uh, because I'm a teacher. And for 17 years, I've asked students, hey, you think you're ready for the test coming up? I've had students tell me no. I've had students tell me I'm absolutely ready. I've had students tell me, yeah, I'm ready. But then when it came to the test, yeah, nope, right? Uh, yeah, okay, and yeah, you can think that might be, yeah, some of you, that, that might be you too. I've had those instances as well. If you want to ask me about an incident, feel free to come and talk to me afterwards. But they weren't ready. And I always question, well, why is that? And I would, would do some exit interviews with them, and it turns out they have a little bit of knowledge. 
And that little bit of knowledge, what they thought they understood, had puffed them up to a place where they thought that they were ready and prepared for this. That net knowledge that they had kind of puffed them up to a place that they weren't prepared for. This effect is actually called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, if you want to look that up later, it consequently happens when there's a lack of knowledge or skill, and it causes you to overestimate your own competence in an area. See, it turns out in general that the more you learn about something, the more you learn how much you actually still have to learn. Or as Paul states it here, if anyone thinks he knows, he does not yet know as he ought to know it. And brothers and sisters, that, that should deflate our pride here a little bit this morning as, as, as we think about the things that we know. Cars our humility to grow a little bit this morning. And that's not the only way that knowledge can puff up. One of the things that Paul's referring to as he's talking to these believers in the city of Corinth is that when you seek knowledge simply for the sake of seeking knowledge, right, this would be something that I think we've all probably pursued at some point in time at some level. And we see this happen all the time in the world around us. If you're scrolling Twitter, if you listen to the news, people who have knowledge and gain knowledge simply for the sake of gaining knowledge just so they can hold it over someone's head. This is an instance of idolatry where we're, we're bowing the knee to knowledge so we can know more than the other person. And that's the attitude that these believers would have answered this question towards Paul. And he's going to address that attitude of, of knowledge that's puffing up, that's devoid of love. Right? So knowledge can puff up, but love builds up. Now, if you guys continue to come back, we're going to keep studying this book of 1 Corinthians. And we're eventually going to get to the chapter 13. And I think when we get there, that's a really good checkpoint for us as, as a body of believers to so, go, okay, Lord, I, I know that your spirit's actively at work in my life. I understand that knowledge devoid of your love is going to puff me up to a place where I'm no longer being Christ to these people around me. And when we get to chapter 13, which is a few uh, number of weeks down the road, it would be a good place for us to check and go, have I been loving my neighbors well? Have I been loving my brothers and sisters well? And so you're going to listen for this verse, and we'll hopefully maybe we'll point this back out down later in the road. But Paul even says in chapter 13, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And I have faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. Right, so brothers and sisters, our knowledge that we have acquired has to be guided by love. All of our knowledge, daily decisions, worship of our creator should be guided by love. All of our life is worshiped. And so answering the question that's posed by the Corinthian believers is one that Paul is going to get to, even though he starts off a couple times and kind of seems like he deviates a little bit. So Paul comes back to the question. If you guys want to travel with me to verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul comes back to this question again. And he says, all right, about eating food sacrificed to idols. He says, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many, and as they've said in quotations, gods and many lords, and then he says this, yet for us there is one God, the Father, all things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. See, even though this isn't real common in our context, this question would have been something that these believers would have run up against in just their day-to-day -day life. Their social gatherings would have had meals that had food sacrificed to these idols, these gods that are referred to. And they would have worshipped in their own community during weddings, festivals, all types of social gatherings, business meetings. And if we can think about that, we attend things like weddings, social gatherings, business meetings, and our day-to-day -day lives as well. 
And so what does it look like to honor God in answering some of these, these specific questions? Even the markets where they would have purchased their food would have had meat that would have been sacrificed to idols. Raise your hand if you've been to a grocery store in the past week at some point in time. Is there a lot of us here? So even though this specific idea may not be one that's been addressed, all these daily activities that would have caused them to ask this question were things that they wanted answered. And so we as believers, too, throughout all of our daily activities, all these little things that happen, need this question about how to honor God in those types of situations. So within this particular uh, group of Christ followers, in this particular group of believers, there would have been at least two groups. Okay, and this relates, I think, likely to people in our own community and in our period in time as well. There would have been people who would have been steeped in this idol worship. This would have been their life. This would have been very common practice. But by the grace of God, they had been brought out of that lifestyle and brought into a new life in Christ. Yet for them, it would have felt very, very much against their conscience to go in and participate with this in any way. They would have wanted to flee from that as much as humanly possible as they knew and had seen the effects of that in their life. There would have at least been one other group that would have been reading this letter and this response that Paul gave would have been a group where that wasn't the case. A, a group of people where they knew these idols really were nothing, as, as Paul states in his response. They didn't come from a life that involved idol worship. It's possible that they wouldn't even necessarily have seen all the, the damaging effects that that would have caused for their brothers and sisters in Christ in that other group. They would have known and stood firm that there is one and only God, one and only God, which is true, but that knowledge was something that was puffing them up. Right? So here's what I'm gonna have you guys look around for another moment here. So can you guys turn and look left to right again, front to back? Because there's people around you, not at me, but look left to right, front to back for a moment. Look at someone else around you. Right? Sitting around you are brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? The people that you just took looked at as well. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We call them this because they've been brought into God's family just as you have. We call them adopted sons and daughters of the Almighty God, and we together believe that Jesus has redeemed us as his people. Now, as you look around, though, as well, there, there may very well be people who don't know Christ as their Savior. Maybe it's your first time coming here this morning, hearing all these words. Maybe you even, you've read the Bible, you know what it says is true, but you really haven't committed your life to Christ. You haven't given yourself over to Christ as Lord. Maybe you've got very little knowledge of, of what it means to be a Christian. And so I, I want to tell you here that the prayer of not only me saying words here, but the people around here that we call brothers and sisters are prayerful that God would bring you to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that he would use us to demonstrate his love to you in real ways, even now here this morning. And so, brothers and sisters, here this morning as a group of people, you have different experiences. You have different responsibilities from the people around you, different upbringings. Yet, for those of us who have submitted our lives to Christ, we have one Lord. We have one Lord. So even though the issue of food sacrifice to idols, if we sat around and had a discussion about it right here and right now, probably wouldn't cause a lot of dissension among the people sitting here. There, there are no doubt debatable matters among all the people sitting here, the ones you guys have been looking around seeing, that, that we may disagree about. Now, I could sit here and enumerate a number of those, those issues, 
right? But I, I want us to think about for a moment and have you pause again. If you're someone who writes notes, this would be a great place to just jot down a few things. If, if not, just to be thinking about what are some of those things. Think back to the past year or two. Can you come up with a thing and a thought in your head where you and another believer, someone else who, again, Christ is both your Lord's that, that you disagreed about, right? Maybe, maybe there's something currently right now that you're going, yeah, we don't see eye to eye on this debatable matter. And maybe you're walking through that well, not letting your knowledge puff you up, but letting it build one another up in Christ. Maybe you're in conflict and in sin right now, and this is an opportunity for you to go to that person and say, look, I have not loved you well in the midst of this debate, discussion, argument, however you want to clarify it, and I want to honor God in that relationship, right? And there's no doubt, no doubt, if you think about all the things that impact you on a daily basis, that we'll have those kinds of debatable matter discussions, disagreements in the future, Lord willing that he tarries and we're here tomorrow and the day after that. And so it's important for us to think about what does it mean to respond to our brothers and sisters in love in regards to these disputable matters. So let's finish up our reading. Let's jump back into chapter 8, verse 7 through 13 and see Paul's response. He finally gets to, after talking about building one another up in love and focusing on the one God that we serve, how are we going to deal with this? So verses 7 through 13 say, however, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been used to idolatry up until now that when they eat the food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us closer to God. We're not worse off if we eat it. We're not any better off if we do not eat it. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in the idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I'll never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. In regards to those he's writing to, Paul tells them that everyone has the same knowledge. He also tells them that eating the food is not going to bring them any closer to God. It echoes the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 15, where he says, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. It's not what they're eating that's of utmost importance here, but how they're loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul details out by their own knowledge. It's puffed them up, and they're sinning. And notice that he uses the term brothers and sisters here. He's talking about a familiar relationship that you're sinning against them. And not only that, he points out you're sinning against Christ in this matter as well. See, if you put yourself back in those shoes, you can almost hear some of the voices of the people in this, this puffed-up knowledge saying, ah, those people that don't have it figured out, I know what's right. I can keep on doing what I'm doing that I know is right, and I know that I'll be just fine with God. That word I, 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 I showing up over and over again. And you can hear Paul saying, what are you doing? Throughout this particular part of the letter, he uses, and my wife is an English teacher, so I want to make sure I say this right, the first person plural pronoun. Right? The word that we see happen all the time there is the word we. He uses the term brother and sisters and pointing to the family of God in this matter. 
And so Paul's saying, what are you doing? Don't you know that these are your brothers? That's your sister for whom Christ died, just as Christ died for you. And he brought you all out of sin and death to life in him, empowering you by the Holy Spirit. And you're called to love your brother and sister in ways that reflect the very love of Christ. And so as God cultivates that in us, as we, we continue to be grounded in Scripture and growing in our Christ-likeness as a body of believers here today, as God cultivates in us a growing love for our brothers and sisters and for the world, you, right, you as a body of believers, we as a body of believers get to participate with the Spirit in being Christ's representatives of the world. God's called us as brothers and sisters to live out our identity grounded in Christ growing Christ as a way of life. I'm going to invite our, our musicians who are going to lead us in worship to come back up here this morning as, as we continue to sing together, as we continue to worship together, and continue to meditate on what it means to be a Christ follower, recognizing that our prayer together should be that we grow in our knowledge of God's love together and that we grow to know and be known by one another more deeply. As that happens, that we'll be drawn together, united around Christ. And that we'll inevitably find ourselves in conversations where we differ. That's going to happen. We're all unique. But although we are unique, we're one body in Christ. And so I want to let the words of James 119 guide us as we think through what it means to involve ourselves in those conversations, to be grounded in Christ, but be growing together as well. James says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger as we build one another up in love. So as we sing together, as we fellowship together today, as we're sent back out on mission together, let's ask us briefly, to, let's ask God together to remind us that the unity we have in Christ and to be known first and foremost from our identity in Christ. So would you pray with me before we sing? Dearly Father, God, um, Thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning around your word, to be reminded of our identity in Christ, to be reminded of the God that we serve, to be reminded that first and foremost, um, above all else, our identity, who we are, is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we worship an almighty God, and that uh, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us to grow in being grounded in Christ, but also growing in our knowledge of what it means to be overflowingly filled with your love. So it might pour out to those brothers and sisters around us, pour out to the world, and that we might live on mission as ambassadors for Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Crosspoint, as we uh, close this morning, um, be reminded of the God for whom we live, uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, through whom we live, and the Holy Spirit has empowered you to live on mission this week. I want to read from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Uh, verses become very precious to me over the past couple years as Paul's praying over uh, some of his fellow believers. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.